This is episode number six with Andrew Morello. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Andrew Morello is the winner of the first Australian Apprentice TV show and head of business development at Mark Burris's publicly listed Yellow Brick Road Wealth Management. He's a great philanthropist and a very well connected, present human. This episode is brilliant and I wanted to bring Andrew onto the podcast as an inspiring entrepreneur to highlight financial success to us all from a very different perspective. Morello takes us deep into his mindset and how he nourishes all the key pillars in his life and how important all these areas are in his quote-unquote success. We dive into spirituality, values, congruency. Uh, We talk about the charity work that he does with Project Gen Z, how he teaches entrepreneurial skills to young Cambodians to help them create great lives. He teaches us how to make vulnerability your friend. We talk about community your why, he discusses his mentors such as Mark Burris and also what he's invested in and excited about most in his businesses at the moment. But you have to stay tuned to the very end to hear how we're raising money to get Morello to do something that he's never done before. He's the first person I've had on the podcast that hasn't done this task and he laid it out that he'll do it for the first time ever in his life if we can raise enough money for one of the charities he's working closely with now, it's hilarious. Andrew Morello, I'm extremely grateful to be in your presence again today. So after the first time that I met you, which was November last year, I walked away time from is, that. Time has flown. It has flown. We were just discussing that and a lot has happened since then. But I walked away from that chat just absolutely buzzing and really intrigued by your understanding of human behavior and i'm a bit of a journaler and i wrote i journaled that meeting that we had that chat that we had and i was reading through that in in preparation for this podcast and i was very expressive in those journal notes about how intrigued i was about your passion and knowledge on human behavior so i'm excited to unpack a lot of that today. fantastic well thanks for having me first of all and uh you know i think it's reciprocal i think you know after i met you there was who, who, who introduced us again? We yeah, were, so we mutual connections. We're with um, Dom Greenwood from Dom Green, correct? Yep. yep, Dom. And uh, and over the last since I met you in November, you keep popping up. It's like the universe <laughs> was trying to put us back together. So I'm uh, I'm uh, I the the feeling is mutual. You've got an amazing energy about you, and I look forward to all, hearing all your adventures when you travel the world and keep doing the work that you do with the Paralympians as well, which is great. Absolutely. Speaking of Paralympians, another mutual connection of ours is Riley Bat. Yes. He's yeah, a- from Port Macquarie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm back at the uh, Luminosity Youth Summit in uh, 
couple of months' time. And ironically, Port Macquarie keeps calling me back. This is going to be like my fifth or sixth trip this year to, to Port Macquarie. So it's a beautiful community there. And uh, if anyone's listening that has children, there's a, there's a conference there called the Luminosity Youth Summit. Um, and uh, this year, interestingly enough, a lot, a lot of sort of 16, 17, 18-year-olds are coming, but we've started getting a lot of adults. So even if you're interested in hearing some inspirational speakers, check out the Luminosity Youth Summit in Port Macquarie in, uh, I believe it's late July. Brilliant. We'll link that up in the show notes Great. too. And another mutual connection of ours, speaking of the Paralympic world, is Michelle Ericello and her yes. husband Mark from Melbourne. And well, others. Not just from Melbourne, from Mooney Ponds. Sorry, from Mooney Ponds. Mooney Ponds, <laughs> mate. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Ericello family are wonderful people. So, yeah, yeah we uh, went to school with one of the boys and uh, the, the Morellos and the Ericellos have known each other for uh, – uh, would be 40, 50 years now. Right. Yeah. Goes back that yeah, far. Yeah, it does, does go back since the, they all came on the boats together in the 1950s from Italy. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it is a small world. <laughs> so you just never know what you get. you got to be careful what you say. That's no, I'm right. just joking. <laughs> I say everything all the time. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes it doesn't. But at least you know it's real. So that's the main thing. Well, that's what I'm excited to get into is your right. reality. So you were the winner of the first Australian Apprentice. Yes. And we're sitting here in your office today at the Yellow Brick Road Wealth Management in yep. Sydney in the boardroom in the boardroom you could be fired you realise that <laughs> <laughs> and you are head of business development yes. here and you wear many different hats in the entrepreneurial and investment space yes but I love the story of how that all started, your real story of uh, your entrepreneurial journey beginning with your underage nightclubs. They did indeed. They did indeed. Well, it actually probably started even slightly earlier working for my father. So uh, my father was in the service station, and still is actually, so on the corner of Pascovar Road and Buckley Street and Mooney Ponds. I'm trying to get him to retire, but... Uh, we, we all, all, all three kids, my sister, my brother and I, we did our, effectively our apprenticeship or cut our teeth as sort of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds. Um, and my father would pay us five bucks a day. Now that never increased and never decreased. And if you ask my father now, what would he pay? He'd still say, I bloody pay him $5 a day. <laughs> so um, obviously that, that, you know, the work ethic was instilled in us through by my father and, and, and by my mother too, but watching our, our father work very hard, which he still does in the service station game. But that was a motivation and a catalyst to start my own business, which was um, I applied for a government grant, which from a, a really close friend of mine, so uh, his, his mum, her name's Carol Espinoza, but I'm friends with her four sons. And uh, ironically, I was on the phone to the son yesterday. He's the university. I didn't know you were going to bring up this. And he goes... Um, you know, his mum gave me this first opportunity to, uh, to to start this business, this, you know, underage dance party, so youth events. And the whole concept was young people running parties for young people. And we took them out of school halls and we put them into, uh, into cool venues, like actual nightclubs. We took all the alcohol out of the nightclubs and we put, you know, 1,000 kids, 2,000 kids. The biggest one we did was like, you know, seven, 8,000 kids down in Melbourne. Yeah, the, the Metro, the QBH, um, Queen's Bridge Hotel and stuff. And they, they were amazing. It was amazing time of our lives and you obviously learned a lot about the uh the dealing of money and seeing it come and go and how you can uh watch it grow in those yes. areas I, I probably saw the good the bad the ugly of it actually so i think it's it's very important to um to take a step back and then you know um a bit like what you you know you, you the, the advice you gave before about journaling I didn't quite journal when I was that age. I've done journaling, you know, as I've gotten older. But I, I did always take account of what was happening because you could very easily um, lose your way and realise that money was um, 
a facilitator. It wasn't the be all and end all. And I saw a lot of people go down the wrong path because they got, uh, you know, too, you know, addicted to the money. And uh, that leads to a whole bunch of other problems after that as well. And you mentioned your dad before, and he was obviously a bit of a help through this stage, moving yep. on from $5 a day to when you started to see a bit more money well, coming through your hands. Ironically, my father was never, um, so I, I said I was going to run nightclubs. And, you know, a good Italian father could, you know, could tell you off for, for wanting to do that. But ironically, he, he never gave me money. He probably never encouraged me to, go, like, encouraged me in a sense, like, yeah, you should go run nightclubs. But he always told me I could do anything. So when I said I'm going to run nightclubs, most dads would be like, all right, mate, whatever. My dad's like, all right, well, how are you going to do it? And that was actually, I think... You know, if anyone's got children here, I think that's the best parenting because my dad never said no. He never suggests. He said, how are you going to do it, right? So what he did is always challenged me on it. Uh, when, you know, a lot of dads would have gone, no, nah, I want you to concentrate on your studies. I want you to, you know, no, nah, you've got to keep working in the family business. But my father was... Um, was was encouraging in other ways. Like he was like, okay, all right, let's see if you're gonna have a crack, how are you gonna do it? And he challenged you on that. And because of that, it, it sort of laid the foundations and the brickwork to be able to do something pretty magnificent. That was one of the things actually, when we first met back in November last year, one of the things that really resonated closely with me, you spoke a lot about your family and you mm. have a lot of pride for how influential they have been in your life and yes. in your career. Yeah, and they still are. Like well, we, we had a function on in Melbourne yesterday. I just flew back this morning and um, we do everything together. You know, I went to Coachella in Palm Springs with my sister and my brother-in-law. You know, people are like, why? And that, that was their honeymoon. And then when we got to uh, the wedding yesterday, um, everyone's like, why was your little brother on at your honeymoon? I said, well, the question is, why were they on my Coachella trip? But, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we travel together. We do business together. Um, we're all very different. So my sister is is analytical and she does consulting. She had an illustrious career in the corporate world in uh, the UK for 12 years. She's just come back to Mooney Ponds now. Um, my brother is very similar to me, but he's definitely the um, more conservative brother. So he's also good to have because like I'm, you know, guns blazing and he sort of pulls me in a little bit and explains, you know, the logistics behind it, the, you know, and, and probably understands. And that that comes from experience as well. So he's 10 years older than me. And then um, our mum was very much the matriarch of the family that bound us all together and encouraged us to be entrepreneurial. And then our dad was a role model when it came to work, I think. What about relationships outside of your family then? How's, how important are they in quote unquote success and moving forward? Because I feel like when I met you in person, mm. I felt like we'd known each other for a long mm. time and you requested that we met in person. That yes. was great. And that was similar to this meeting today. You yep. were more than happy when I said, I'd love to do it in person yep. because of that personal connection. You said, yep, couldn't I agree more. It. Yep, you prefer it. You definitely do. So how important are relationships in in success, so yep. to say, in I would. I'm going to say some controversial things here. So, um, so when if anyone's listening to this, hopefully you are. But if anyone's listening to it, hear me out when I finish what I'm about to say. First of all, um, I've given the advice to some people over the years that maybe their family isn't the best people they should be hanging around as much as they are. So always keep a relationship with your father. Always keep a relationship with your mother. Keep a relationship with your siblings. Um, but a lot of them over the years I've seen and a lot of, you know, people come to me for advice and they've got bad role models as parents, you know, like maybe dad's been divorced, you know, four times and, you know, it's got got 
you know, un, you know, unfinished ends all over all over the world, and you know, maybe you know, mum's gone and and done something, it's something, and like I say to people, sometimes your direct family is not necessarily the best relationship we have. Then the next one I'm going to say, sometimes the the relationship you're in isn't healthy either. So what I've seen is I've seen a lot of amazing people get brought down by their, you know, their their life partner or their lover or their, you know, the the people that they they share children with. And um, I think we live in a modern world now. So what what I say to people is find out and work out where you get your nourishment from. Like sometimes it could be like in the Italian community, your godparents play a big part of in your life as well. So sometimes, you know, maybe your mum and dad, they say as a joke, you take after your godparents. But it's quite ironic because I very much take after my godmother more than I take after my mother in my personality. My godmother's got a very similar personality to me. The other ironic part is... I'm the godfather to my two nieces and one of my nieces is like everyone, she, she walks into the room, she's seven years old, she walks into the room and everyone's like, this is you at seven. <laughs> and and she literally is and she just lights up the room. My other niece as well, you know, um, certainly has components on me, but there's one niece in particular that is just exactly me. And I still remember, I remember being that age and working at my dad's service station at seven, eight years old. And I remember being like her, she's very inquisitive, she's going around. So I say to people, find the right relationship and then foster those relationships, put time and effort into them. Um, but if it's difficult, then it means it's probably not the best relationship for you. Well, it's like that saying that uh, you're a product of the five people that you spend mm. the most time with. So as much as you might love your family, if they're not the ones that are actually taking you in that direction towards your big audacious goal yes. and helping you on your journey, I think that's sort of what you're alluding to yeah. with that. Yeah, sometimes we can um, look at family as well with rose-coloured glasses um, and the challenge with that is they may not be the best influence for you. Um, always try family first. And uh, as you know, I'm very close with my family, but I've been very blessed, mate. Like I, I, I know for a fact, and it's ironic because in past, you know, female relationships I've had, the girls, like we, we may not be, we may not, you know, have decided, oh, we're just going to be friends. And, you know, it might have run its course from a from a relationship point of view as in, as in, as in an intimate relationship point of view. But they all stay friends with my family. So, like, I mean, they go and speak to see my mum still. They go and, you know, to pass my dad's service station. They've got a their properties, you know, managed by Jealous Craig Real Estate, our family business. they got a Yellow Brick Road home loan. I get invited to their, you know, to, to MC at their weddings. Like, they're still, they invite my whole family to things. And... Um, I think that's a testament, you know. Like, you know, it's it's a little bit. Some people go, it's a little bit weird. I go, well, is it like, why does why do we need to put a label on something? Why can't just people all, you know, uh, get nourishment from one each other from one another? And if that's, you know, your ex boyfriend's parents, and so be it. I don't have anything. I've got no issue with it. Um, but it's testament to how amazing they are. So yeah. So, so I make a joke sometimes. I go, you've fallen out of love. You've fallen out of love with me. You still love me, but you're not in love with me anymore, but you're still in love with my family. I'm not joke. So, and they don't disagree when I say that. So it's not a bad thing. Yeah, and you're obviously not offended because you you rate your family highly. So I do. So everyone else falls in love with them. But like you said, it's testament. I do. And, and the other thing is as well, I understand, you know, I think the biggest thing I've learned, especially over the last sort of five, five to eight years of my life is that, as human beings, we try and hold on to these relationships, whether they're intimate relationships or, or friendships or, you know, like an, another big thing is I moved to, to Sydney, right? So one of the things I used to struggle with over the last seven years living in Sydney is how do I keep that connection with my friends I grew up with in Melbourne? And I was trying so hard to manage that as a relationship and as like it became a job 
and it, it shouldn't become a job. So I realise that if you know if people are true friends, they'll pick up exactly where they left off, and don't put too much pressure on yourself to you know for it to, to fit into a certain box or look or, or feel a certain way. All right, I'd love to dive into people's mindsets and learn from their mindsets. And I know from our chats that you invest in and engage with uh, spiritual mentors. Yes. And this is one of the key pillars of life that I've invested a lot into in the past sort of about 18 months. Great. And it's so powerful. It absolutely blows my mind and it just creates a whole new paradigm shift. It does. How and why did you get into the spiritual side of things? Um, it, it probably started um, realistically probably when I was maybe like 20. So I'm, I'm 31 now. It's so like 2021. 20, and I was probably going off the garden path a bit. I was, I was, you know, just gotten into real estate and I was making money there. I was still dabbling in the, in the nightclub industry as well, which was a fairly unsavory industry in Melbourne. Um, so like I was trying to find myself and, uh, you know, I went back to, I grew up, I was brought up Catholic. Um, and that, that was the biggest misconception people make is that they think spiritualism is religion. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that if we can put some gravitas around that when people listen, that when we talk about spiritualism and spirituality, we're not talking about religion. It can be part of it. It can be a component of it. And for some people, they get their most spiritual nourishment through, you know, the, the, the church they belong to or the, you know, the synagogue or the mosque that they go to, which is fine. But what I did is I opened my eyes a little bit further and I said, well, <clears throat> why can't I learn not just from, you know, religious um, stories or religious literature, um, but I started looking at you know what other opportunities are there to, to you know to define my my spiritual nature, and um, obviously off the back of that I started reading and I read the Seven Spiritual Laws by Deepak Chopra, which is a great great piece of literature. I read um, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, um, which was a, another piece of a great piece of literature. I read The Power of Now about five times because I couldn't get it the first two or three times. <laughs> so if anyone reads it, don't by Eckhart Tolle. Don't be disheartened. It um, it is it is you know hard. Is it is a hard read. I've listened to that audiobook twice actually because it was recommended so highly. And actually, for everyone listening, if you want to download that powerful audiobook for free with Audible, you can go to yourlifeofimpactbook.com and follow the easy steps that Audible have created for you guys. I'll also link that up in the show notes. Um, a couple of other really simple books that I got a lot out of was, since I'm talking about literature, if anyone's writing them down, was actually, ironically, they're not overly spiritual, but he's quite a spiritual guy, You Inc. by John McGrath, and You Don't Have to Be Born Brilliant by John McGrath. So they're more business ones but for when you read it there is an undertow of uh, you know spiritualism and, and just um, being at peace with yourself and if you ever get a chance to meet John McGraw who's an extremely successful um, businessman he uh, and just an all-round amazing person he's very generous um, with his mind with his heart and um, you know that comes from his, his connection to his spiritual side definitely. Is it John that speaks about uh, understanding where you get your energy from? Very and much so. Yeah, so yep. if it's energy from exercise, don't yep. don't not do exercise yes. on a daily basis. And if it's energy from being with relationships or yep. whatever the activity might be. Yeah, he talks about the daily rituals, yeah, and the, the significance of those daily rituals. And he... Uh, He's, you know, for someone uh, of his caliber, he's extremely generous with his time and his, uh, with his energy. So it's a beautiful thing. So what would you say then around the spiritual aspects? What's the, the biggest learning curve or something that you take with you on a daily basis yes. into your line of work that's, that keeps you grounded and present and connected from your spiritual 
meant what you've learned through this spirituality. Yeah, yeah great. I think um, certainly um, we spoke about it off when the mics went on, but my, my mother, as I said, is, is um, got an early onset Alzheimer's, and you know that really when something like that happens, and she's only sixty seven, when something like that happens, it really um, it really challenges your spirituality. Right. So, you know, I said to you, the, the biggest thing I've learned from this process was, you know, the, the concept um, through my spirituality of practicing present moment awareness and, you know, really being in the moment with people and being in the moment with my family yesterday and being in the moment this morning, my friend and I went to the airport together. So, you know, just not being on the phone and just understanding that I've got another human being. There's plenty of time to answer emails and phone calls and and messages. There's plenty of time to go do all these other things. Why don't we just be in the moment right now and um, give as much nourishment to one another? And that's what I learned from, you know, from my spirituality. But obviously what it's, what it's done is now I've been challenged with, you know, the family nucleus and, you know, the challenge with my mum. It's just put it all into perspective for me. Um, So I try, that's probably my number one you know um value out of my spiritualism that i'd take now which is a practice present moment awareness um and then i think the more spiritual you become and the more at peace with yourself is you learn more to let go of the outcome which i've really focused on too so by doing that it transponds into your relationships it transponds into your friendships it transponds into um the business world because see ironically we're sitting at a boardroom table now and this is where i've negotiated a lot of different components to a lot of different businesses and the ironic part is is that I reckon you get a better response out of people when you've got nothing to lose so what happens is they sit up here in this boardroom you know on the top floor looking out to the you know out to the um, sky and then you know you look at them and like they will pitch something to you and then you'll go back at them. And because you're at peace with yourself and you know what you're accomplishing, you know what you're trying to achieve, you know what, you know, um, you're, you're, you're present in that moment with them. It, they feel very responsible to to come to the party and assist you with whatever you need to do because they're like, you're giving everything you've got to this. I'm like, yes, I am. And then you look at them and you say, are you prepared to give everything that, you, that, you, uh, that you've got? And having that real present interaction with one another really puts an, a, a really good opportunity to build something great in business and, and life as well. I like that, that there's that substance directly related to your line of work yeah. and with those dealings. But also I love how you mentioned there when there are these challenges within your family mm. nucleus and that's when you can draw on these learnings and these practices that you have put in place. Yes, it yes, very much so. for that. Do you practice anything like uh, visualisation or any... Yeah, like yeah, I've, uh, I've I do a um, bit of visualization and meditation as well. So I'm obviously on a plane quite a lot. So um, I've started, well, not started. I've probably I've drifted in and out of it. And this is a prime example where you got to do whatever's working for you at the time. So um, I've come across some, you know, just on on iTunes, some couple of little um, meditation chants and things of that nature. And what I've found is I've been trying to just when I'm on the planes now, just switch that on rather than watch a movie or, or television or something like that. And then just spend the time, you know, the hour and 10 minute flight from Sydney to Melbourne that I do probably two or three times a week. Um, spend time or even, I did it to, I did it all the way to Perth. The other, like a couple of months ago, I did it Sydney to Perth. It's like four and a half hour flight. And I just had these um, uh, incantations on these meditation incantations. And I just visualized everything um, that I was doing. I, I think I mentioned to you, I'm doing Kokoda September 19th for it to raise money for Indigenous education. Maybe we can put the link on if people yeah, listen absolutely. to this. Great. Definitely so will. we're trying to raise a half a million dollars for Seed Foundation 
Nation. Um, there's about 20 of us doing Kokoda together, which is great. Um, so obviously that's a big, that was a big, you know, you're the king of this, you know, you coach people on mindset and especially high performance athletes. Um, but that was a big thing for me. Like, you know, to one, there was a, a you know, a, a spiritual side to it. You know, Kokoda's where Australia and the Japanese fought each other. And, you know, there's a lot of good, bad on both sides. It's not like people go, oh, you know, they, they stopped the Japanese from invading Australia, but it's really important if you want to be a great human being to understand why did they feel like they had to do that? Um, they had a whole world that had backed them into a corner. And uh, as a human being, you need to understand why people do what they do. Like it's terrible what what happened yesterday in um, in London. Um, but but why are these these kids feeling so disillusioned by the world and by leadership um, that they are they're clutching at straws to a to a not it's not even a religion. It's 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 a lot of my friends are Muslims. So like you know I I know that Islam does not preach the things that these people are doing. But they they feel so disenfranchised these kids that they're going to join these groups because they just want to feel like they belong. So, you know, we've really got to stop for a minute and say, okay, it's definitely not, it's not the religion. The religion's not the problem. It's the fact that there's a whole bunch of people in the world that feel disenfranchised by, you know, what is perceived as the people who control it. So not getting all conspiracy theory on you, but I, you know, I try and understand that. And I, I've done work in, in Western Sydney and, you know, when I was doing youth work in Western Sydney, all these kids were joining bikey gangs, but they don't own a bike. They don't own a motorbike, but they're joining bikey gangs. So the writing was on the wall there. It's like, well, why are they joining a bikey gang? Because they just want to feel like they belong. Their fathers aren't good role models. Their brothers aren't good, good role models. They're, you know, 17, 18, 19. Uh, you know, somebody says, oh, you can be part of our club. It's very um, primitive, isn't it? Like it's us going back to our primal instinct and being in a herd mentality, in a pack mentality. But it's obviously in our DNA, even if it's from, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years ago, it's in our DNA that we want to feel like we belong. And some of us feel like we belong with great people like yourself. Some of us feel like we belong with our family. But for those people who don't have great people or family around them, they're clutching at straws and they're going to, you know, extremist views in whatever it is, in crime, in, in religion or whatever it might be. Yeah, you're right. It's it's that community feel and people want that. And it mm. goes back to things like you spoke about religion. That's all about community, spiritualities, community, everything I think... Um, relates back to that people fitting into yep. what they feel like is their space or what they want to create as their space. And yep. actually part of my vision for this podcast is to create a community of impactors right. through learning you know, the abundance of value from people like yourself. So I can understand that with people wanting to fit yep. in, but sometimes that's just expressed in the wrong choice and the wrong options for people. And, and it challenges you. It does. Like, you know, like I was up, you know, early this morning and I was at my mom and dad's house yesterday and last night and, you know, my dad was up and he's watching it and, you know, he, you know, he's old school Italian come off the boat. So he's pretty black and white with things like that. And, you know, and I just said, geez, you know, like what's going on? Like why, why are people having to do this? You know? And the sad thing was it was an Australian girl. She survived, which is great, but um, she was attacked and, you know, it brings it pretty close to home. Like she's an Aussie, like, you know, you're about to go travel. Like it's so, and my, my sister and sister-in-law and brother, um, uh, about to do seven weeks in Europe. And they actually said yesterday, they go, oh, we don't know if we're going to go to London. And I went, don't do that. So I said, that's just, I don't want my nieces, you know, that's that's them winning. And I don't want my nieces thinking that's how you should live your life. And I said to my sister-in-law, you've got to go. I said, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah, go. well, we're actually due in London uh, 
for in four weeks' time mm. for our world championships. So, great, so great. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many athletes are going over? Uh, there's a team. Actually, the we're not sure the the spaces haven't been filled as yet. Yep. We would know obviously when this podcast comes out. Yep. But it's usually between sort of forty and fifty athletes for the Australian wow. Paralympic Athletics team. So great. Yeah, but I mean that's not going to deter us from going to London for a competition, like yep. you mentioned. So, so, so I'm going to interview you for a second. Okay, so, go do for it. um. If someone's training to make that squad, is it like do they decide what leading up over this next four weeks now they'll do, have to do qualifiers to get those spots? So there's a qualifying period which actually started for us at the Rio Paralympics yep. last year and it's been open until the weekend just gone. Okay. Right. So within that period they have to hit certain so if you're a long jumper or a below knee amputee long jumper, you yep. know what your what you have to jump to qualify. Yep. And that's the same for every event for the sprints, mm. distance jumps, throws, everything. And they've got to do a certain amount of qualifiers within that period and yep. then the the team of selectors picks them for that team and then we travel away and compete. You know what I, I, I'm challenged by is like when I meet um, some of these amazing athletes that we, we see we have as mutual friends um, and Kurt Fernley's the one who got me on to um, the Kokoda. Kokoda, right. Yes, I had just done Kinabalu in Borneo two years ago and we were at this conference together and he come out and he said, mate, if I could do Kokoda with no legs, you can bloody do it. <laughs> and so that's why I started training and, and trying to get fitter for, for that. But I look at those guys, the men and women, and I just – I, I challenge, I'm challenged because I'm like, am I doing enough with my life? And then like you say that to someone, they're like, bro, you're doing heaps with your life. And I'm like, am I though? Because like this guy gets up every day and he goes and trains and then he goes and he inspires people and you know you what you watch them when they, and when they do their you know their sport of choice, like they play with so much vigor and passion, don't they? Like they leave everything out on like the court and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Kurt. I've, mm. I'm good mates with Kurt and mm. I've had him on the podcast. Yeah, and he great. He talked about crawling through the mud of Kokoda. Yeah. And actually four of our current uh, guests that we've had on the podcast have actually done Kokoda. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty popular sort of thing. But you're dead right. Like I am surrounded by stories of massive adversities every yeah. day. And I say this often, but you're just uplifted by their courage and resilience. Yeah. And they use their adversity to their advantage. They create lives from it. Yeah. And then they inspire millions around the world and yeah. generations. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. super powerful. And the beautiful part is, is that we we become a world now where, um, you know, like there was such an ignorant world, even just like not even fifty years, probably thirty years ago, they were still ignorant to it all. And now um, we really understand the power of these of of people with disabilities. And it, it took us a long time. It did. Yeah. It took us a long time to realise that there was so much power in that. And we should be putting that on a pedestal because to me that's more inspirational than some guy playing, you know, not that I'm disregarding, but, you know, um, grade A NRL, like I'm good on you and I'm happy for you, but they should be, you know, putting all these kids have got posters of, of uh, you know, all these NRL players or AFL players when the real poster boys and girls should be the people of these Paralympians in my opinion. Yeah, there's definitely been a big shift in, in society and it's, mm. and it's growing in that way. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right. Now you mentioned the word values there previously. Yeah. How in touch with you, I with your core values? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's something that I, I often um, review. Um, not re- actually not review. They evolve. So obviously, um, when you when you're young, um, you know, I was highly motivated by um, you know the value of being successful. But see, the word success changed in my mind. So like when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 
success was how much money I had. I'm not going to lie. It's just what you did. And even though I had that always that connection with my spiritual side and I always did that, had my connection with my philanthropic work, even when I was in high school, we used to do St. Vincent's de Paul soup van down in Footscray. So that probably stemmed it a bit. And then I got involved in a few charities that I was passionate about and were in line with my values. So obviously, um, you know, uh, what happened was, my vision for what you know for um, you know where my values set around success shifted then to having a successful life, and those values were very much um, affected by the spiritual work I did. So that practicing present moment awareness as a value, um, letting go of the outcome as a value, so that I could really embrace um, you know. The, and the third one is embrace the uncertainty of life, so I could really start to you know really embrace the fact that I didn't know what was going to happen and that success wasn't a number in a, on a bank account, but rather the experience and me growing as a person. And I, if I do all those things and I stick to my core values and, you know, and loyalty. So a lot of people obviously sitting here in this boardroom. So I got this job with Mark over seven years ago now and people freak out. Like they walk into the boardroom and they're like, you're that guy from The Apprentice. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you're still here. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, wow, we just thought it was a television show. And I went, no, that's not how I work. And Mark, Mark's extremely loyal. He's an extremely loyal person, like to the point where it's probably over the years been a little bit detrimental to our business. Like one of the things was that we, we when we accumulated and bought, you know, the ASX, we're a publicity company. The ASX said, oh, we were top heavy on on um, leadership wages, you know? And the reality is like every time Mark bought a company, he kept the leadership team. And I'm like, I don't know if that's, you know, we can do that. You can't afford to keep everybody, but he's just a really loyal guy. It's like, oh, you know, but this guy's been with that company that we bought for 30 years. This one's been with him for 20 years. And obviously, and, and even when it was time to move some people on, Mark went out of his way to make sure there was opportunities for them at other companies. And, um, and you know, a couple of them ended up going to like partner companies of ours. And like, it's a beautiful thing, mate. Like a guy doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need to do that. And, um, He's very, very loyal to, to me as well. Like I've needed help over the years with a few things and he doesn't even question it. He's always there to, to willing to help. Well, it sounds like he's in touch with his values. Like, and that's very um, much so. probably why you have stuck around for yep. seven years. And when you are in those, that company of people that, when you, you're a values-driven person, yeah. he sounds like a values-driven person. And hence, to you, it's probably not just a job. You feel like that family and you're surrounded by those people like we spoke about yeah. earlier that are actually lifting you higher and taking you towards your bigger goals and uh, dreams. The reason I bring up values is yeah. because I believe that people establishing their values is like laying the foundation. So I'm a coach and yep. when I coach athletes to, uh, we have to teach them how to walk, run properly, do all these foundational type movement patterns before we can get them moving at 100% efficiently. And I feel like it, to live your most authentic, truest self, you have to establish your values and understand what they are and be able to actually reflect on them, like you said, review yeah. them and make ch choices congruently with them. And it yeah. sounds, the way that you explain what your top three are there, yeah. it sounds like you make choices congruently with them on a regular basis. Well, that's a, that's a perfect word. You just, you know, congruency is, is probably a, a, a more recent value that I've um, brought into my life. So it was actually my, my, my last um, life partner, you know, she, you know, if she's listening, um, she, uh, she'll be wrapped that I'm quoting her by the way, but she, she taught me about congruency and um, I, I, I was, it was important for her to bring that up with me because I used the analogy of this, so I live at Bondi Beach, right? And on a, on a Sunday afternoon, I might have some people over for some drinks. And my mate always drinks Canadian Club and Cola, 
Right? He always drinks them. For some reason, when he finishes his can, he always scrunches his can. And I go to him, bro, don't scrunch the can because then I put it in the garbage bag, like the recycling garbage bag. But I, uh, I go, it tears the bags, bro. So just don't do that. And he goes to me, um, he goes, uh, so like, you know, I've got to go catch a plane Monday morning a lot of the time. So like I'll get up at like 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning. I've got, the, you know, the pizza boxes under one arm. I've got the rubbish bag for the normal rubbish under another. I've got my, my, you know, my suitcase or whatever in the other hand. And I've got this bag that's got the cans and the bottles and everything in it. Anyway, every now and then, you know, over the years, the, the bag is ripped open and I'm walking down the, 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 the alleyway to where the bins are for our, I'm in a, in a apartment block and like the Canadian club and cola can will fall out <laughs> and you'll look back and I'm thinking, Oh God, like I know because I know my mate's the only one who drinks those and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm upset by it. Right. And then I look around and at four o'clock in the morning, no one's up, right? Because to put all the, everything down and, and, and pick up the can. Now, the reality is, is have I left the can before? I have. I'm not going to lie. This might as well be congruent, right? So I have. But the funny thing is, if somebody was watching you, the Mrs. Mangles from Neighbours back in the day, if she was watching you through the window and she saw you drop that, that can, would you have gone back? Of course you would have. You wouldn't have even thought about it twice. You would have put everything down and went and picked up the can. So I use that analogy to explain congruency to people and say, oh, look, do you always do what you're supposed to do even when somebody's not going to know and find out about it? And um, I was challenged by my, my last life partner about the fact that, you know, obviously when I'm out and about and I'm, you know, I'm speaking at events and I spoke in front of a few hundred people on the weekend and I did a charity event Saturday night for the children's hospital, then I had the wedding yesterday. She's like, you're, you know, you're the life of the party. Then you come home and I probably wasn't giving her the same energy. So there was this lack of congruency there, right? And, um, you know, my I probably wasn't as in line as uh, I could have been. And I probably needed to realise that if I'm in a relationship, I probably need to store some of that energy to be able to give it to my life partner. So really, that's a really, you know, come to, come to Jesus moment, not in a religious way, but like a really like aha moment for me. And I realised at that point that um, she taught me this congruency and, and brought this as a value into my life. I was going to ask you where you feel like your biggest incongruencies are in your yeah. life at the moment, but it sounds like that. So thanks for Well, you know, it, 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 was, it was that. So it was my, my, last, my past life partner. Um, and, you know, we, we, we had a, we've broken up very amicably and it's, it, we actually had a very beautiful, authentic and honest conversation. And what it's actually done is made me reconfigure and recalibrate um, what I'm searching for in a relationship and, and what I've actually realised and, you know, she sort of said it. She goes, I, I think you're actually supposed to be married to the world. That's what she said. She said, like, the world loves you and you love the world. Um, I don't know if you're built, I don't, and I don't know now. Like, when she said that to me, I was like, I, I don't know if it was an insult at first, but then I realised, you know, the more I've spoken to about it with my spiritual mentors and the more I've spoken to my, you know, my business mentors about it, they're like, maybe it's true. Maybe, like, what, you know, I was so fixated on having what my brother and sister-in-law has got. I was so fixated on having what my parents have got when maybe that's not what I was destined for. And instead of worrying about the outcome, why don't I just enjoy the process, meet some amazing people. And if I find a life partner that I'm with for a reason, a season or a lifetime, then so be it. Brilliant. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about vulnerabilities. Mm. And also from that, we'll branch into your philanthropic aspects because 
from what I know about you is you like to put yourself in situations, whether it's traveling around the world or uh, different circumstances that sort of expose your vulnerabilities yes. because you understand the potential of growth when you do yes. that. Now, talk to us a little bit about some of those experiences and then also with um, some of your philanthropic aspects such yep. as Project Gen Z yep. that uh, you go to Cambodia a yes. lot for. Um, so vulnerability is a great word. I say to people, you've got to make vulnerability your friend. Because you do your most growing when you feel vulnerable. If we always, it's it's a little bit like in in sport. If you played at your home ground every week, um, you know you would never, you never really truly grow. It's the fact that you go into somewhere new with new elements and new um, conditions, and and um, and it's somebody else's home ground as well. Like that forces you to grow. And so I'm always looking for those opportunities. Like I'm. Like I'm addicted to those opportunities because I love feeling uncomfortable. Where it actually stemmed from originally was my first auction coach. So my first auction coach got me to do a number of things that really um, settled me. Uh, and I've called a thousand auctions. I've won awards for it and so forth. Like, uh, But what he did was um, when I was 18, he went and got a sign made saying auctioneering training, like a little open for inspection sign, but like a proper sign. So it was like a, you know an A-frame. Anyway, he uh, goes, be at my house at 6.30 a.m. in Williamstown down in Melbourne. Be at my house at 6.30 on Monday. And I'm like, all right, so we're going we're gonna to train, auction you train. Bring your auction script, okay? we're suited up, so suited up. Anyway, we get the back of his, he had an A8 back then. It's an Audi A8, and I still, I still remember perfectly. And his number plate was Octio, which is um, in Latin, to, to auction, effectively, right? Um, to sell publicly. Right, so you see, it's very congruent with with what I was going there for, and he's an amazing auctioneer, Adrian Butera. I'm actually with him this Friday, ironically. We're going to a community event down in Melbourne. Anyway, long story short, he um, he goes, uh, he, we we pull up at Newport train station, Newport train station in Melbourne. So not Newport Northern Beach in Sydney, a nice place. Newport train station, Melbourne has. Um, a few things. So on one side of the train line, one side of the road, there's a 24-hour, like, RSL pub, which just was like, a, back then, so we're talking 13 years ago, it was, it was big for, like, heroin dealing and stuff. So you had all these interesting people that were always hanging out there, right? So, like, junkies sitting at the front. And um, then you had three train lines lead to Newport Transit. So you had all the school kids. <coughs> Excuse me. Had all the school kids, all these teenagers. Then you had the traders. Then you had a taxi rank, and there's a large Lebanese Muslim community in Newport. So a lot of them were, um, you know, Arabic, you know, um, taxi drivers. Um, could be quite boisterous at times. Anyway, he pulls the sign out at the front of the of the um, of the station and says, "Start calling an auction." I said, "You got to be joking me, right?" And he's like, "Do it." I had kids throwing things at me. I had the traders come out and tell me off. Like, be quiet. You, you, I had the taxi drivers tooting their horns at me, telling me to shut up. So I felt really uncomfortable. But see, that was week one. So every week we went back there. So week two happened. First week I was the crazy guy calling auctions in, in, in at the train station. Second week I was the crazy guy calling auctions at the train station, training for an auctionee competition. Third week I'm that guy training for an auctionee competition. Fourth week... I'm that guy training for an auctioneer competition. My name's Andrew. Fifth week, I was sick and I didn't go. Or we, we didn't go that, that week. Seventh week, I got there. They're like, where the hell were you last week? So it was amazing. That was an extremely uncomfortable experience at first. But having that vulnerability pushed me. You know, I have this saying where I say to people, show people a little bit of blood 
because then they're prepared to bleed with you. And that's really what I, one of the core values that I've lived my life by is that I am vulnerable and I know I'm not good at everything. I barely finished high school. So I sit in a boardroom here with people with, you know, PhDs or MBAs and I just go, I used to feel like I, w I wasn't significant enough to sit with them. Now I absorb them and I say, you know what? I love the opportunity. I'll show you my vulnerability that I have so much still to learn. So why don't we sit here? And if I don't understand something, I don't just sit there and go, yeah, and just nod. And think, I go and explain that to me. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Explain it to me like I'm a four-year-old. And some of the smartest people in the world actually have to use that concept. They always go, if you can't explain it to a four-year-old, then you're not smart yourself. Because anyone can recite a textbook or a theory, but if you can actually show someone who's never studied something like in the maths or sciences or economics, and you can show them it. And Mark Burris does this very well. When you watch him speak, he... Uh, you know, he gets a whiteboard marker out and he'll, he'll tell you, you know, he'll build it into a story. So then by the end of it, now he's an extremely, you know, uh, academically intelligent man. I'm not academically intelligent. I would say I'm emotionally intelligent, you know, and that's that's my thing to give to the world. And would you say then that it's your emotional intelligence and your experience of these vulnerable moments? So you just gave one example, but I know yeah. there's many. Would you say that that's what sort of really got you interested in these uh philanthropic like, yeah the yeah. philanthropic stuff you do in places like cambodia and southeast asia yeah so the, the yearning to be um, around amazing people is is one thing so like you know in that philanthropic space and in that uh, especially in the youth space so you would have obviously with your coaching and so forth come across a lot of young people so i'm, I'm very um motivated by helping young people um so Liz Volpe, who's one of the founders of Project Gen Z, she, you should interview her, by the way. That's who we should do a podcast with. Because she's extremely inspirational, so we'll connect you to. Um, she and her husband, Jesse. Jesse's mum gave me my first money at the council to run my first event when I was um, 15 years old. So, like, it's all serendipitous how it all comes together. But Liz um, said to me, you got to come to Cambodia with this. Like, she'd been before and um, done some work in the orphanages there with Sunrise Village. And she says, you are got to meet this lady, Geraldine Cox. So, she, Geraldine was coming out on a fundraising trip and Geraldine has given her whole life to these Cambodian kids. Anyway, she goes, when you meet Geraldine, you can decide whether or not you want to be involved. And I met Geraldine, and without a doubt, she would have to be the most inspirational woman I've ever met. So I see Geraldine as, as a life mentor as well. Now, and I, I, she's got quite a colourful life. So if anyone wants to reach, she's uh, OAM, so an Order of Australian Medal winner. Um, she's got a biography. And it is extremely colourful. So she was no, she shows her vulnerabilities and she talks about her vulnerabilities. Um, she's in her early 70s now, but she's living an extraordinary life. And when I met her, I, I felt like, you know, and the way she spoke about the kids, I was like, I got, I got to get involved. And the thing I really enjoyed about what, what we were going to do at Project Gen Z was that we weren't just giving them money. We were giving them education around entrepreneurialism. We were giving them motivation that just because they're grown up in an orphanage doesn't mean they can't have a great idea and have a crack. So that's what it's more about, isn't it? Yeah. You're teaching these people in those communities that yes. generally wouldn't be exposed to it, the, the entrepreneurial Entrepreneurialism, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, some of them off the back of it have decided they just want to do, you know, go to university university which is fine um so like often they'll come to us and say oh look it's you know the, the universe like the a four-year degree is like three grand australian right so they'll go oh you know i want to do a you know three or four year degree and we get them to go to an american university in Phnom Penh, not the cambodian ones because they're not really recognized anywhere and uh, the big thing I, I i put pressure on them every time i go there and i'm back there in october is i tell them they need to practice their english you know, the English English really is the the gateway for them to get out of the the poverty cycle. Um, 
um, and the ones that speak, you know, great English, you can see like they've got opportunities galore. Plus, they've grown up in this beautiful, loving environment. They've had terrible things happen to them, but then Geraldine's brought them into this loving environment. This environment. So one of them's seventeen and he's being shipped over to Adelaide now to um, go uh, learn, you know, classical piano. Like he's already an amazing pianist, but he's gotten a full scholarship. Now the reality was, he probably if he didn't speak English, they probably wouldn't have given him that full scholarship. So I kept explaining to him, and then we brought Saran out to Australia. So she was the Project Gen Z apprentice winner. So I, I run an apprentice competition over there, like with the, you know, 150 kids or whatever. And then they're not kids. They're, there's a lot of them are in their 20s now. So like, but we put them into teams. Then of the team, three of them get to pitch the reason why they should come to Australia. And they spend three, four weeks over here with me and Liz and, and other great, you know, entrepreneurial leaders. And that's all in Cambodia, the, the Project Gen Z? Or Project Gen Z is currently in Cambodia, um, but we are now pivoting because we've had a lot of people show interest into doing it in other countries. Um, so we're looking, we're right now doing a, a you know feasibility on which countries are the best to do it in. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're going to go to remote communities in Australia. So what we're going to do is we've set it up as a social enterprise <clears throat> so we can um, charge a fee to... Um, to private schools. So obviously private schools want to do it as well. So we've done a couple of private schools in Melbourne. So they will pay us and then we'll use the money from that, recycle the money uh, as, a, uh, as a social enterprise and provide programs for the Indigenous community, which leads into who I'm doing Kokoda for. So Kokoda's for, I sit on the board of SEED Foundation, S-E-E-D Foundation. And the whole idea of it of that is to provide certificate two in health services to 15, 16, 17 year olds in Indigenous remote communities to encourage them one to have better health within their communities but most of all to look look at getting into the health industry brilliant i'm excited to see that unfold actually yeah, for how yeah, it goes yeah. within the entrepreneurial uh, sorry within the uh, aboriginal communities mm. and and that sort of things some of your other entrepreneurial setups uh you have now launched ihop or yep, last hop, yep hop is it yeah hop, hop hurts on the app store yeah yep. give us a little bit of info on that yeah um so i'm, I'm very patriotic and uh, about australia number one number two i um i am sick of ever all of these large american companies ship, shipping money offshore so like I, that was something i was really interested about when they did those tax reforms um in the in, in these current governments now realized that uh, a lot of the money was getting siphoned overseas and they they use the the concept that it's all cloud technology so we can base the company out of sweden and pay swedish taxes rather than pay australian taxes but they are getting on top of that now which is good um so that was one thing number two i love the impossible so obviously people go Oh, you're going to try and compete against Uber? And I'm like, yeah, why don't we have a crack, you know? And I've got a lot of money in this project now. So, you know, I've committed emotionally, mentally, physically with the actual money too and probably spiritually. So on the app store, it's Hop Space Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z. So we we partner with Hertz Car Rental. The whole idea of it is to um, to mobilise their, 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 their fleet when they're not being used to allow people that, um, you know, would like to be drivers. So obviously... Um, the, the socioeconomic index for a lot of drivers that, that drive within Australia are new Australians or young Australians that can't afford to maintain a vehicle themselves. Hence, you know, a lot of them are taxi drivers and so forth. So what we've tried to do is create a hybrid of uh, the taxi business and uh, ride-sharing business. So basically, um, we allow people that don't have vehicles to go and pick up a Hertz car, 
it's all logs onto the app and then they can they can drive uh, and, and, and make 100% of the fare. So it keeps the money within Australia as well. We charge $2 uh, booking fee for the consumer, which the consumer's happy to do that because the driver's getting 100% of the fare. What it means is that we can afford to be about somewhere between 7 to 15% cheaper than Uber as well. Um, so, yes, we've just done the first... Uh, uh, we've done the, what we call proof of concept. We've, uh, we had about sort of 30 to 40 cars on the road. Um, we've got some good, good solid numbers now. We've just finished building all the tech, which costs a lot of money um, to build all the tech. Um, and we're about to raise the next round of capital to, to extrapolate it and, and, and run a full, uh, full campaign. Wish you the best of luck for that. I think there's a lot of space for it. I love well, there is. U- Uber's got a monopoly, number one, in car ride sharing. They've pretty much got a monopoly, number one. Number two is... Um, it's un-Australian. Like it's un- to have a monopoly anyway. I'm not saying Uber needs to be out. I'm saying Uber's done a great job of, of you know, retraining the world that there was. You know, they've built a, an economy within themselves, right? But it's un-Australian for there not to be competition. Like right now, there's there's no real second player. You know, there's a few guys that are trying, but no one's giving it a solid nudge. And I. I I just think that's, you know, where's the power of competition? And you, we just saw Uber just put up their prices last week. And um, again. Yeah, again. And But but nobody can, you know, it's, not, it's like, you know, Qantas is held accountable now by Virgin. I'm a Qantas, I'm a loyal, loyal Qantas user. Um, although I did fly on Virgin this morning, but I'm a loyal Qantas user. But it's good that Virgin holds them accountable, right? I'm openly a, a, you know, a liberal voter. Will I be for the rest of my whole life? I don't know, but I'm openly a liberal voter. I believe um, Malcolm Turnbull's a great Prime Minister. I think he's had his wings clipped by the Liberal Party, but uh, you know, he was he's entrepreneurial, he's smart, he believes in gay marriage, he believes in um in you know tax reform, he believes in helping small business. But the reality is obviously when you're part of a, a larger political group, but I always say it would be terrible if the Liberal Party was in power for forever because you know no one would look after the you know the people that need to be looked after so i always make a joke i go you need two liberal sessions then one labor two liberal one labor because obviously you need to keep that balance of power now with uber there's no balance of power they can they control everything right now the whole market and uh, i want to give it a run for its money good on you good on you now, there's a lot of other things we could talk about, mm. such as your entourage, and I've heard you talking about Dersh, which is something exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're excited, excited about Dersh. That's a little bit outside the box. So um, Dersh is a platform where um, people can share sort of viral videos that they make themselves. Um, so it's coming out of Western Australia as well. So we're going to look to, um, over the next financial year, to bring bring that out as well. And bring bring. We've built all the tech once again. So if you build it, they will come. That's the plan. And the entourage is a, um, a small um, business community um, we're for you know entrepreneurial people in Australia so um, the the head founder is Jack Deloso I was one of the founding members with him so seven and a half years ago I was with him on Saturday night actually and uh, I think I'm seeing him tonight so he's uh, he's a very inspirational guy as well um, you should get him on the podcast too so and he does a segment um, uh, called Ask Jackie D. So that's, uh, you know, maybe one day he'll get you on that too. (laughs) Sounds brilliant. Yeah. And we'll link all that up in the show notes for everyone to follow it up a bit more. Now, we're going to wrap things up shortly. Yep. But I'm all about action and I'd love to know from you, Morello, what's your advice on what specific action our listeners can take today to become more impactful in their communities and in their own lives? Great. It's a great question. Um, 
I think it's a culmination of things. I don't think it's one particular activity, but um, probably understanding their, their why you first. So like, you know, um, and that's different for everybody. For some, it's their children. For some, it's their husband, their wives, their kids. For some, it's their, you know, their church or their synagogue or their mosque or whatever it might be. But understand what, what gets you up in the morning um, and then tie that back into your community. So People go to me, oh, you know, I, I do, I work as hard as I do or I'm doing all this stuff for my kids, right? Well, I would argue that you're doing it for your kids, but the best thing you can do for your kids is to be a great role model within that community. So get involved with with whatever it is that they're doing. Um, turn your job, my second bit of advice on taking action is turn your job, business and career into your lifestyle. So what I've been able to do is master the fact that I, I get to do what I love every single day. And because I'm doing what I love, it doesn't feel like work, right? So what happens is, is I say to people, you need to um, you need to find ways to get involved in your community and to contribute, but that you can enjoy. And you know, there's no one's asking you to do everything for free all the time and look for ways that you can monetize it. If you're doing something you love and you can find a way of monetizing it, even if it's you keep your job, and you start a little, you know, get a, a, a sole trader ABN and you start, you know, helping on weekends. You might, you know, coach Little League on the weekend, but then you might start a, a youth coaching program or you might start a, you know, a, um, a community where you, you know, a business networking community where you charge 50 bucks a week and people come and, but they get all these opportunities. Like it's not, the, you know, people think you got to either be philanthropic or make money. And what happens is, and I've seen it a thousand times now, they, people go full step ahead getting involved in their community and giving back to the philanthropic world, but then they personally go broke themselves or they, they ring me and they're like, I'm in trouble. And I'm like, how much money have you raised for charity? Millions of dollars, but you couldn't raise yourself some money for yourself. Like you've got a lot to contribute. And the last thing would I would say is understand your true value. So what happens is people read a book or they listen to this and they think, oh, they need to be, you know, whatever, you or me or Mark, they got to be Mark Burris. They listen to Mark's podcast. They think they've got to be Mark Burris. You don't need to be Mark Burris. You don't need to be anyone else. Just understand your true value and then take your true value and contribute. Good segue from the, uh, the philanthropic aspect. Now we're going to wrap it up, but before we do... I'm a oh. one of my true values is giving. I believe yes. that giving is living, and uh, the my charity is uh, Life Tees. Oh, great! And we team up with uh, elite athletes, and they design a T-shirt, and we sell them Fantastic. for them, and they donate a hundred percent of the profits to their chosen charity. Wow! So I've given you one here that's called uh, Souls Change Souls, and great. it's for the organisation called Souls for Souls, which yep. donate uh, partly worn shoes to communities in need all around the world. Great! So that's one for you to give away to someone. Uh, in your Project Gen Z. I'd love you to Fantastic. take that over there. Yep. And then also, there's some other ones here for you and these are um, our limited edition life ones where the, chat, wow. the profits go to Batia. Who, uh, yes, we should have spoke with the boys. Yes, yes yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And that's how we will sort of originally These are great. Connected. And they're my size, which is good. So I've given you a few. Yeah. Knowing that you're training for Kokoda, yeah, you yeah, might yeah. wear through them. So yeah. they're there for you, mate. These are great. Thank you so much, mate. My Thank pleasure. you. That's beautiful. What a Absolutely. beautiful gift. Thank you so much. Now, just quickly, uh, two-part question. Where can our listeners learn more about you and how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? 
Great, great. Well, um, probably the big thing I'm asking for now is um, to support the Kokoda um, trip. So we'll get that link. I think the boys can email you the link and, and get that underneath this podcast. So uh, even if you can donate 5 or $10, guys, the more you can donate, the better. Um, we, we actually got a big donation on the weekend. Someone donated $10,000. So, yeah, and I've got another $1,000 donation coming in this week. So, so some people have been extremely generous. Um, it's tax deductible and everything as well. Um, so that's how they can help. If they want to learn more... Um, um, there's andrewmorello.com um, and uh, feel free to go on the Yellow Brick Road website too, ybr.com.au. What about social media? You're a pretty active social media yeah, user. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you can add me on Instagram. It's probably my best one where I'm most active, which is at Andrew Morello. Um, and then you can follow me on um, on Twitter and Facebook as well. So Twitter is at Andrew Morello also. And then the Facebook, um, I'm really bad with the public one. I'm really good with the personal one, but I can't add any more friends. So you can still follow it though so you can see some of the things that we're doing um and then as i i siphon through people i, I add more people if you do add me i'll you'll go on a, on the list and I'll, I'll get through it eventually um but that's just andrew marcello morello so that's my middle name marcello um it's very italian i know so that was my grandfather's name but feel free to follow me on all of those and would love for you to get behind the um the kokoda um travels and uh the last one is well go check out project gen z if anyone's interested in coming to cambodia um we're, we're running a trip so now we've set um project gen z up as a social enterprise because we weren't sure whether we're going to take it down the philanthropic space so the social enterprise picks a a, a charity now so the charity obviously is sunrise village and so we we run it as a um as a like a, a educational trip as well so what we've done is we've set up partnerships with different businesses so you can you know you can actually come and pay to come and then what happens is is part of that money goes back to the, the sunrise village and often what's happened is like some people that have come before and it wasn't all set up you know properly they just came once you're there you fall in love like these kids they're they're infectious you know and you're gonna you it will blow your mind i could imagine absolutely we'll link all that up in the show notes people will definitely right. be able to get behind all of that now just quickly the fast five questions yes now just let these roll off your tongue right. you don't have to have I apologize for what i might say in advance <laughs> Okay, what's one habit you wish you could change? I probably speak off the off the cuff too much, you know. So I probably and I'll probably swear too much as well. So I probably ch- should change that. Okay, I've done good today though. I was gonna say I've I done good today. I haven't. I know. I know. I know. I haven't. Well yeah. <laughs> Must be because I'm practicing. In the boardroom. Yeah, and also, I'm also I'm, no, no. There's a lot of swearing goes on in this boardroom. <laughs> I'm gonna show you that. <laughs> what makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized? The water. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Pisces. I live on the beachfront at Bondi. As soon as I see the water, it, it literally, I don't know if it's a, you know, eerie, fairy, spiritual thing, but water is massive nourishment for me. Massive nourishment. Have you ever washed a dog? No. Wow. There <laughs> I have, you go. I'm, a, I'm a cat person. <laughs> and the good thing is they clean themselves, so it's all right. Well, I think you're the first person on the podcast that hasn't washed a I've dog. I've never washed a dog. Uh, My ex-girlfriend was a dog was a dog lover too, so I I'd never watched any of her dogs. We go to her mum, she'd wash the dogs herself, but I should do that. Oh, well, by the time you know, I see you next, I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to come visit you in Sweden. Yes. Gonna, if I haven't done it by then, we're going to wash a dog in Sweden. We'll Facebook live. We'll Facebook um, live. Morello me washing his first okay, dog. Go. You know what I'll do? If somebody wants to get in touch, and um, I will wash a dog for charity. Ah, oh, okay. So if someone's prepared to pay $1,000 to the My Kokoda trip, I will, and you can promote this, I'll come and wash their dog for them. Brilliant. I'll definitely be pushing that. There's a How good reason. That? There's a good reason for me to watch the dog. Because <laughs> I don't own a dog. So that's it. But a, that's a good that's question. That's a great reason. Right. 
Okay, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, more is lost with indecision than wrong decision. Like one of my mentors in Melbourne. And what are you most grateful for in your life right now? My family. Brilliant. Andrew Morello, you're a legend. You deserve more than life. <laughs> you're a very passionate, present and connected human being with an infectious aura. And once again, I'm extremely grateful for your time and input today. Thanks, Robbo. Living the dream. That, to me, is the type of millionaire I am inspired by. I love Morello's outlook on life and that everything is linked internally within us and money is just a byproduct of our intended actions. Check out the show notes on this episode to see how you can donate to the cause of Morello washing a dog for the first time and let's help raise the money for the Seed Foundation. Actually, I'd love to see us raise way more than $1,000 for this awesome charity. So if you can donate even just a few dollars and tag as many people as you can and share the link with them to donate just a few dollars, then we can work together as the abundant community that we are and do our bit for seed. And of course, to witness Morello wash a dog for the first time ever in his life. And if you're listening to this episode after September 2017, please feel free to still make your contribution to the Seed Foundation. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E. F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at yourlifeofimpact.com. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.